you were here Wednesday, you know what happened. Uh, Wednesday night, while Daniel uh, was presenting the lesson, uh, the screen decided to fall. Uh, he was going to use uh, PowerPoint, but he couldn't, and then the screen just started slowly peeling away and just crashed on the ground and had to take it out, and so we don't have a screen. And uh, the, the irony of the whole thing is that just last Sunday, we were talking about technology, and I was saying how much better things are today than they used to be in the past, and and, uh, you know, I said, you know, they used to use sheet sermons and was going through all that and comparing it to our PowerPoint and then the sheet falls or, or I mean, the, the screen falls. Uh, so this morning or, or I guess maybe this month is retro month. We'll we'll call it that. Um, you know, years ago, you may remember when preachers used to use chalkboards. Do you remember that? We did. I couldn't find a chalkboard around here. All I could find was a whiteboard. So uh, we went with a whiteboard, and next week, um, James Meadows is going to uh, be speaking, and he has an old sheet sermon that he's going to pull out and use that as well. So I hope you'll be here for that. You know, those somebody just last night asked me, what's a sheet sermon? Um, if you don't remember those, they were, they're, they're basically what this is. But preachers got tired of their artwork, I guess, being destroyed and started drawing them on sheets so they could be more permanent and, and being taken with them. But um, I, I do want to thank my, my daughter, Anne-Marie, on Friday. I said, come up and help me do this. Here's what I want to do, and I want to put this on the board. And I have zero abilities uh, with artistic stuff. So I had her come up. I said, it won't take more than half hour, hour at the most. Three hours later, she was still working. And uh, but anyway, I appreciate uh, the the help that she gave me. And I, you know, I also appreciate the guys in the sound room. That that's a tough job. Uh, number one, what they're doing is difficult. Trying to run the camera and the slides and the sound and all of that and keep all that straight. It really is a difficult job from that perspective. But another perspective is that it's difficult because. The only time anybody ever thinks about the sound room is when it doesn't work. You know, it's a thankless job. No one says, hey, thanks for that good job with the slides this morning. But if they don't work, then we're real, real quick to tell them what's going on back there. But anyway, now that I said that, guys, I want to scream by next Sunday, okay? <laughs> Can we get that thing going? Uh, but uh, tonight, this morning, if you have your Bible, open it with you. Or open it, please, to uh, Amos chapter 5. Um, we don't go to the book of Amos very often, but it's the Old Testament book of Amos. He was a prophet. And this is a period of time in Israel's history when um, they were just taking it easy. They were kicked back. They were laying on their beds of ivory. I mean, they had it going. But they were disobedient, and they had turned a deaf ear to God. And, and in fact, if you look at Amos chapter 6, God pronounces a woe upon those who are at ease in Zion and trust in Mount Samaria. And he condemns them for their, their just kicked back attitude in spite of the fact that they were sinning. And so what God does, if you'll go back, and we're not going to do it, but just to set the stage for the, the passage or the lesson this morning, 
God sent a number of disciplinary actions against them. He sent plagues. He sent famines. He sent pestilences. And uh, they might have thought that those things were just occurring naturally, and they were just having some rough times. But, oh, no, it was the discipline of God. He was trying to get their attention. But in the midst of all the, the calamities that would continue to befall them, they were, they were not waking up to the reality that they were disobedient to God. And some were even saying, Lord, help us. It was the Lord who was doing it. But listen to what he says in Amos chapter 5 and verse 18. Woe to you who desire the day of the Lord. You see, they were saying, Lord, come, help us. They were calling for the Lord to come. And he says, there's a woe pronounced upon the person who would want the Lord to come. Why? For what good is the day of the Lord to you? It'll bring darkness and not light. It will be as though a man fled from a lion and a bear met him. Or as though he went into the house and leaned his hand on the wall and a serpent bit him. You see, in their effort to escape the plagues and the calamities, they were turning to God and God says, you're, you're running from a lion into a bear. It's no better. If you think that I'm not going to, to punish you for the sins that you've committed, if you think that I'm going to turn, uh, close my eyes and turn a deaf ear to what has been taking place, you, you're mistaken. Now, I don't know that we use the expression, uh, uh, you know, from a lion to a bear very often, but we do use an expression in our language t- today. It's like uh, the, sim- the same uh, concept. We say, you know, a person's jumped from the frying pan into the fire. Well, same thing. You jump from one thing you don't want into another thing that you don't want. And that's what the expression means in Amos chapter 5 and verse 19. They thought they didn't like what they were experiencing. They thought it was bad. And so they're trying to run from it. And in running from it, they're calling on God. That's the last person they need to run into at this time. Because they were sinners and rebellious and high-handed in the rebellion. And that was not going to be something that was better. Here's the point, though. Sometimes we run to extremes. We run from one bad thing to another bad thing. And God calls us to a life of balance. There's, there's that passage in Deuteronomy that tells us, chapter 5, verse 32, that we're to neither veer to the left or to the right. They're both wrong. We need to stay right down the center of the road and follow the Lord. And we have sometimes trouble doing that. It's, it's hard to stay balanced. But that's what the Lord wants. And I've picked out four things this morning that I want to share with you that I think sometimes brethren get out of balance. And just people who make some effort to follow the Lord sometimes get out of balance. And I want to remind us and and be reminded this morning that it does us no good to flee from the lion only to flee into the arms of the bear. Both are disastrous. Well, let's look at this first one. The first one is this. There are those who say faith only, 
That's all we need is faith only. And then there are others on the other, other extreme that, that almost have a works-only uh, mindset and attitude. Both are wrong. Both are extreme positions. One is not better than the other. They both will cause us to fall short of what God wants us to be with regard to our salvation. There are those who believe that we are saved by faith only. And the Bible doesn't teach that. In fact, the Bible teaches exactly the opposite of that. James 2 and verse 24 tells us, that, and that's the only time in the Bible where it says uh, anything about faith only, and it says that we're not justified by faith alone. You know, if I held the position that I believe that we were justified by faith alone, and the Bible explicitly says that that is not the case, I would at least do a double take. I would at least be moved enough to think twice about espousing a position that the Bible exactly says the opposite of. But the problem with faith only is, and faith in Jesus is good, but faith alone it, it causes us to come up short. It's like running a race. And, and there are certain things that you have to do to run and to finish this race and to win the victory. And, and of course you have to start. You have to get on the starting line and you have to take off. And, and that's faith. That's what we do. We begin our life moving toward God. We have to have faith in Jesus. And, and so we place our faith in Him. But that's not the finish line. That's the beginning line. That's the start line. Just last week, I saw a video of a man who was running a marathon. Um, what is it? 26.2 miles. And he had gotten to the end of the race, and, you know, they, they make a final lap in the stadium. They run through a town or something and come back in, make a final lap in the stadium, and then they run through. They've, they've got some corridors and stuff, and they, they funnel you through. And the man who was winning the race thought he had finished he thought he had crossed the finish line. And the man in second place was fast overtaking him because he thought he was done. But he hadn't crossed the finish line. Now that man in second place could have run past him and won that race. But because he was a, a gracious racer and a kind guy, he stayed behind the man and kind of pushed him on the back and said, up there's the finish line and let that man jog ahead of him, and he just stayed behind and finished in second. Later he said, you know, he, he had beaten me. It was just a misunderstanding on his part, and so I didn't want to take first place from him. And, uh, but, but that's not how life works. You either finish the race or you don't. And when I convince the world that all they have to do is place their faith and trust in Jesus, faith only... It causes them to stop before they reach the finish line. They think they've been obedient to God in all things when they, there's still work to do. And so that's a problem. That's, that's not a helpful position to find ourselves in, in a position where we believe that we're saved by faith alone. But neither is it a good position to be in when we find ourselves thinking that somehow I've got to work my way to heaven. That works determine my salvation. 
that it's not really my relationship to Jesus and not faith, and, and that, that's not nearly as important as what i got to do and my performance every day, and I've got to work and work and work and, and somehow pay off this debt, and that's no better because that's false doctrine as well. The Bible tells us in Ephesians 2, verse 8, For by grace have you been saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not of works lest any man should boast. We can't work our way to heaven. We can't just place our faith in Jesus and go to heaven. Nor can we work our way there. I'll tell you how it works. Both of those are extremes. The truth is in the middle. And it's summed up perfectly in Galatians 5 and verse 6. If you want a passage that expresses how work and faith and works work together, it's Galatians 5 and verse 6. He's talking about circumcision. He says, what does circumcision avail today? Nothing. Oh, it had a purpose under the old law, but under Jesus, of what value is circumcision? It avails nothing, he said. But then he goes on and says, but I'll tell you what does avail today. Faith working through love. That's what avails. If you want to serve the Lord faithfully, if you want to go to heaven, if you want to be with your Father, what you need to do is to have faith and you need to work in love. It's, it's not either or. We, we, we work our faith with a proper attitude. The second thing that I want us to look at sometimes that is an extreme from one problem to the other is this idea that, well, we're saved by baptism only or, well, baptism isn't even needed. Again, both of those views are extremes. Neither one of them is true. It's incorrect to say that baptism alone is going to save us. But I know brethren that act that way. They're not faithful in their duties and their obligations to God. They, they take uh, those lightly. They, they're not, you know, faithful in their attendance. They're not faithful in the, the lifestyle that they live. They're, they're inconsistent and they're not developing and they're not growing. They're where they used to be 20 years ago, spiritually speaking. They haven't matured and, and, and they think that because they got baptized, everything's good. I obey the gospel. I got baptized. Baptism removes past sins. It's not a license for future sins. And we have to grow in grace and in knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, after we're baptized. Look at John 15, verses 1 through 8, and and there's a great, I mean, baptism connects us to Jesus. It's that time when we become His, and and to use the imagery that John uses in, or Jesus uses in John 15, He says, I'm the vine and you're the branches. Let's play this out for a second. I'm the vine and you're the branches. And so if you abide in me, you have life in you and you'll bear fruit. But... If you don't bear fruits, then I will sever you from me. Just like a dead branch. I'll just break you off and cast you over into the fire. 
And when you're broken off, you don't have life anymore. You're not connected to Jesus anymore. So you see, it's not just that at one time you used to be connected to Jesus. At one time, I got baptized. Well, good. I'm glad to hear that. That's what you need to do. But what is your relationship to Jesus today? How has it been maintained and sustained? If you're banking on just this one-time act of obedience that you did in your life, and that's going to carry you through, and everything's going to be okay, and God's going to be good with you, you've missed the point. That's the beginning of your Christian walk. But then there are others who take completely the opposite position. They put no stock in baptism at all. Some put too much weight on it and and think that that's going to get them through. And others say, well, you don't have to do it. You don't have to do it at all. But again, what's Acts 2.38 say? To those people who cried out and said, men and brethren, what shall we do? Peter said, repent and be baptized. Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. They were to do that to receive the forgiveness of their sins. I can't be saved without forgiveness of sins. And that's how God says it comes. That's how Peter inspired said that it comes. But you'll hear people say, I just, I don't believe that a person has to be baptized. Oh yeah, I know it's something we should do, but I just can't believe. You mean to tell me that somebody says, you know what, I want to believe, I I believe in Jesus, I want to get baptized. And and so they're headed down to the creek to get baptized and and a branch breaks off a tree and falls on that guy's head and kills him before he gets baptized. You mean to tell me you think he's going to hell? I can't believe that that would be the case. Those kind of emotional arguments to nullify what the Word of God says come back to to bite the one who made them. For instance, let's just back it up from the issue of baptism and let's back it up to the issue of faith. What if a person's sitting under a tree, that same tree that has that weak limb, What if he's sitting there reading his Bible and he's just about ready to place his faith in Jesus? He's getting more and more convinced by the evidences that he reads and just before he trusts in Jesus, that limb falls and hits him on the head. Can I now say, I don't believe that faith is essential because that would exclude that man from heaven. He never had faith. You're telling me that you have to have faith in Jesus to be saved? Well, what about the person that gets hit in the head before they have a chance to place their faith in Jesus? You see, there, there's no end to that. Here's what we have to go by. What does the Bible say? Does the Bible say faith is essential to salvation? Yes, it does. Does the Bible say that baptism is essential to salvation? Yes, it does. And circumstances and and scenarios and feelings, they don't change the Word of God. That's what we have to go by. Those two extremes are like running from a lion to a bear. Let's look at the third point. There are those today who struggle with form or feeling, and and both of those are extreme. When it comes to worship, well, we got to have the form right. We've got to do this right. We have to do church just so in order for it to be right. And, and then there are others who say it doesn't matter how you do stuff. It's what you feel. 
It's how you feel. It's, your, it's that spiritual tingling that you get when you're worshiping God. That's all that matters. Both are wrong. Both are extremes. Leviticus chapter 10, verses 9 through 10 tell us that it matters what you do. Nadab and Abihu grabbed the wrong fire to start the incense, and because they picked up the wrong fire, fire came down from heaven and destroyed. They did the wrong form of worship, and God was unhappy with it. There are those today who are not so, well, they're, they're so caught up in the form that, um, that well, we, we've got to do this and this. And what if we were to move the Lord's Supper at the end of church instead of the beginning? There are people that get so caught up about details that they fail to have feeling. They're, they're more caught up in form than they are in the emotion. And there are mo- those who are more caught up in the emotion than they are in the form. Let me give you an example. I dare say there are brethren who would raise the roof as they should if somebody decided to roll in a, a piano and we're going to worship in that fashion. Absolutely not. We're not going to have that. And we shouldn't. I'm sure there are some who would have a fit if I started calling myself Pastor Steve. Or I'd like to call, have you call me Reverend Steve. Um, that's not a name for you to wear. I know what the Bible says. The Bible says this. We're, we're all brethren. That we shouldn't wear titles. That's a, that, that's a pride thing. You're right. And I know that there are people that wouldn't stand for a minute if we decided... To just sprinkle, just last week we had a case in the hospital where a man wanted to be baptized, but he was too sick to be immersed, and they were offering to sprinkle him. And he wouldn't have it done. By the way, he did return to Cookville and did get baptized, and and all was well with him for that. So appreciate your prayers on his regard. But we would not stand for that for a minute. But here's the thing. Some of us may stand for the right form, but while we worship, our mind's a thousand miles off. We're not thinking about what the words of the song that we're singing. We're not paying attention to what the man said in his prayer. We're not singing when the songs are sung. We're sitting there with our arms folded and listening to everybody else because that's not, that's not that song I like. I don't like that song. I'm not singing. It's my silent protest. You see, if we engage in that kind of attitude, even though that we have the form right, we're wrong. And there are those who are more interested in the feeling of worship than they are the form, and they think that anything goes. As long as it gives me this, this better felt than told feeling, it's justifiable. But it's not. Here's the truth of the matter, John 4 and verse 24. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in truth. That covers your form. They that worship him must worship him in truth and in spirit. And that covers your heart and the feelings and the attitude. You have to have both. It's not either or. 
Those are both extremes. And then the final thing is this. The final point is this. There are those who have run from the lion to the bear with respect to unity and division. Some have so pursued unity that uh, they have embraced a false sense of unity. Others are so just hard to get along with, they divide over everything. There's no thought given to the unity of the body of Christ. But both, again, are extremes. There, right now, just here recently, a major religious body in the United States has just voted. Seems like voting was already taken care of by the Word of God, but there are churches that vote on biblical doctrines. And they had just voted to allow their preachers and their members to be involved in homosexual relationships. And that's their new position. And do you see how much more inclusive that is? Do you know how many people that we get to embrace by that position? We're just bringing more people in. A number of years ago, I read an article in another religious body's uh, national publication, and they had, at their denominational conference, had decided that Jesus is not the only way to be saved. That it's not just His name and in His name only that one can be saved. If you were a good Jew, you could be saved that way, even rejecting the Messiahship of Jesus. Um, a rather famous preacher that you would know uh, just recently, a few years ago, said that even Muslims and, and Hindus and and uh, all the there are other ways other than through Jesus to the Father. Is that what the Bible says? I don't believe that's the case. First Corinthians chapter eleven and verse nineteen says this. He said, there must be factions among you so that you who are faithful can be manifest. You see, as much as we want unity in the body of Christ, there comes a time when we cannot be united. There comes a time when faithful children of God have to say, no, I cannot embrace that. I cannot give my consent, my fellowship, my endorsement to that. And you have to divide. That's what Paul was saying in 1 Corinthians 11. There comes a time when you have to come out and be separate. You see, truth trumps unity. Unity is good, but truth is our goal, not just to simply be united. And then there are those who just, well, it doesn't matter. You know, they, they fuss and they divide over everything. They divide over whether they're going to have communion at the first of the bill, uh, service or at the end of the service. They're going to divide over whether you break the bread before you pass it out or, or do you let everybody break it themselves when they, they eat it for themselves. Are, are we going to, you know, just on, are we going to pad the pews? Are we going to have carpet? Are we going to, people divide over those things. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 14 and Romans chapter 15 that division is wrong. There's a time for division, Paul says, but there are other times when we need to just step back and, and let unity prevail and uh, 
give time for teaching and instruction before we divide and not judge one another. So the point of the lesson is this. Let's seek balance. All these things are things that we face from time to time. Issues of faith, issues regarding baptism, issues regarding our worship, issues regarding our unity. That's where we live. Those are things we have to deal with all the time. And I just want to give the warning to you that Amos gave to those Old Testament children of God. Don't run from the lion into the arms of the bear. Don't run to extremes either way. The truth is in the middle. The truth is in the Word of God. And let's do our dead level best to follow truth and to live uh, as Jesus has instructed us. Let's learn to be balanced people. You know, the school that we support here, that is the work of the church here, the motto is always biblical and always balanced. That's not just the motto of that school. but That should be the motto of every child of God. I want to be biblical and I want to be balanced. And let's seek that as we live our, our lives out this week in the communities and with the people that we run into. If you're here this morning and you're not yet a child of God, I want to encourage you again what the Bible says. It's not enough just to have faith in Jesus, but that faith working in love, obeying the commandments of God, being baptized into Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, now that will avail. And if you haven't yet done that, do that this morning. If you're a child of God already but unfaithful and you need the prayers of your brethren, we invite you to come. We'll pray with you if you'll come as we stand together and sing.